As Kevin mentioned in his opening in his announcements, and if you follow the church calendar, you'll know that today is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is just a Latin word that means coming or comings. It's a season of the year when we celebrate the initial coming of Christ, uh, his birth, uh, that the church celebrates on December 25th. His daily comings into our life and also his second coming, which will be someday, we don't know for sure when. But my hope today as we look at uh, this text, that we will not only be reminded of the first and second comings, but especially of the daily comings into our lives. If you would stand, I want to invite you to um, close your eyes. There are not going to be words projected because this is the word of Isaiah Uh, I'm sorry, the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Why can't we all just get along? How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that? I know that that's something that I say a lot. I tend toward compliance. Uh, I don't like conflict. I don't like confrontation. I've had to learn uh, to be confrontational. Uh, But generally, I don't like to rock the boat. I don't like to stir the pot. I want everybody just to get along. Uh, Now, like I said, I can be confrontational. I've had an issue with my paper carrier. Uh, He has not been getting my paper at my house on time. I've had the chance to confront him twice, uh, but I haven't done it. Now, I can pick up the phone and I can call that little customer service girl and I can tell her what for. Um, So that's kind of, you know... When I was growing up, uh, there were four, I was the oldest of four. I'm going to pick on my sisters for just a little bit. Um, They probably, I think they were about 10 and 6, and uh, they had twin beds in their room, and they were, it went through this phase where they wanted to sleep together all the time. Uh, And so, you know, periodically they did. Well, uh, I think mom and dad had a full size, might have been a queen, but I think it was a full. And dad got this bright idea, he said, you know what? We could take their twin beds, move them to our bedroom, put them together, make a big queen-size bed, give them our full-size bed. It's a win-win situation. Well, that didn't last but about two weeks. And boy, my sisters were at each other's throats like, you're on my side. My oldest one, uh, the, the older one of the two, got uh, masking tape and taped it down the center of the bed. You know, don't you put your toe on my side of the bed kind of thing. Fast forward about four or five years. Um, we were all in the kitchen it was about supper time. I don't remember which parent was cooking and which parent. One was cooking. One was, I think, loading or unloading the dishwasher. I was sitting at the bar. 
Now, I'm not an angel by any means. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just picking on them. But they were over here, and they were going at it with each other. And it just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden, my dad turns around, and he has a knife in his hand. And he comes right in between them, and he says, you hate her so much, why don't you just kill her? You know? And, um, of course, the conversation quieted down. <laughs> um, he did say that. I don't think they would have ever done it. Um, anyway, why can't we all just... By the way, they get along great now, okay? We all get along a lot better than we used to. But why can't we just get along? Um, we just went through, in my opinion, one of the... Or maybe the, I'll say it that way, the worst, nastiest, ugliest presidential campaign that I've ever witnessed or known. Maybe it's just because I pay more attention uh, but I think it's just a complete and total lack of respect uh, that people have for each other. It's not about what can I do for this country. It's about how bad can I make you look so that I look better and therefore you'll, I'll get your vote instead of my other one. And then the, the media goes crazy with it, goes wild, creates this big chasm within our country. Uh, both people on both sides of the fence yelling at each other, protesting, and then crying in disappointment like they just lost their best friend. Why can't we all get along? I know that divisions along certain lines have always existed, but it seems to me that it's, they're more pronounced now than ever before. I don't know, that, at least I don't hear it anymore, but we're no longer just America, the great melting pot but we're a nation of fill-in-the-blank Americans, okay? You got African-Americans and Latin-Americans and Asian-Americans and Indian-Americans. And it gets just the more specific and more ethno-specific uh, as you go down. I belong to an association. It's the, association of Ameri- the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And uh, I don't, there's probably six or seven, eight thousand of us. But a couple of years back, I started noticing these little subgroups popping up. So now not only do you have the AAMFT, but you have the AAAMFT, the African American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, and the ALAMFT, the African, I mean the American, the Association of Latin American Marriage and Family Therapists. Sorry, finally get that out. It's just everything seems to be dividing. Nobody gets along. We're, you're violating my rights is the new slogan that everybody touts. Political correctness is the end thing. And if you're not tolerant, you must be a redneck. Sunnis and Shiites, Palestinians and Jews, Kurds and Turks, Hindus and Buddhists, Syrians against Syrians, Sudanese against Sudanese. Why can't we all just get along? And even in church... Maybe you thought I was going to skip over that one. Do we clap or do we not clap? Can we have Sunday school or not? Contemporary versus traditional. What can women do in the worship service and what can't they? Are kitchens scriptural? What about located preachers? Do we break the bread before or after we say the prayer? Do we use one cup or do we use many? How many of you are aware that in its inception... This church was a one-cup church. Well, actually, there were two at one point. Soon you knew that. There's a little excerpt that I'm going to read from uh, the story of the Johnson Street Church of Christ that was written by Jack Bates. It says, a crisis arose in 1910 when it was decided to use individual communion cups 
instead of the two large silver cups that had accommodated worshipers. The decision was made for reasons of health. San Angelo had attracted many people because of the dreaded consumption. Tensions mounted. Those who opposed the innovation faithfully attended but sat withdrawn on one side of the building, mournfully refusing to commune. Why can't we all just get along? Well, one day, says the prophet Isaiah, one day, there's a day coming when we will all get along. A time will come when the holiest ground becomes the highest ground, when God's reign will be established for all humankind to see, and all humankind will recognize the need for God's presence and direction in their lives. A time when people build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Now, this is not so much a prediction as it is an affirmation, an affirmation that history will one day reach its goal and not continue to repeat itself over and over and over again. It's not a text that scolds or admonishes, but one that lifts a gleaming promise of what God will do in days to come. It is God's vision for the world, a promise of everlasting peace. Now, based on present conditions... And some of the things that I just talked about, many would obviously say that this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. But I beg to differ. The phrase in days to come, in, in this context in particular, is indefinite and distant, but it's not vague. It refers neither to the end of time nor to beyond time, but within time. So my claim is that this prophecy was fulfilled in the original coming of Christ and is continually fulfilled as we walk in the light of the Lord. Verse 5 is a specific invitation to participate in God's reign. Every day that we say yes to him and no to ourselves, we exalt his name and make him high and visible to others. Every day that we say yes to him and no to ourselves, we find ourselves walking in his paths and leading others in his ways. Every day that we say yes to him and no to ourselves, our weapons of destruction are converted into implements that nurture love and life. Every time we say yes to him and no to ourselves, we make a choice to let go of envy Greed, resentment, retribution, fear, making weapons becomes irrelevant. All of our resources once diverted for battle are now available for the provision of health, life, and communal growth. Walking in the light of the Lord is what makes this happen immediately and not someday. God's reign is established over and over again as we walk in the light of the Lord. His future, or life in heaven which where indeed there will be no more of what plagues us today, is brought into the present. We are reminded of the hope of heaven and reflect that hope to others by making our choices, be they personal, be they relational, be they political, be they communal in God's light. In the Panama Canal Museum in Panama City, there's an old signal light. It was made in France in the early 1800s and taken to Panama when the French were trying to build an overland canal. I didn't know the French had that idea before we did. The venture failed due to illness and lack of money, but the light stayed on and served many years as a signal for ships at sea. 
Inside the light, a small place for a kerosene lamp. And surrounding the lamp are rows of cut glass and long, narrow strips, which serve as reflectors. Over 800 of these long, narrow strips. They have no light in themselves, but they reflect and send out the light of the lamp. And so the tiny little kerosene lamp is multiplied hundreds of times to make a brilliant shining light. We are reflectors. Having heard the proclamation which Isaiah gives, the congregation of the faithful is called to walk in the light of the Lord. And so those who live in the presence of God are admonished to take the first steps on the path that all nations will one day tread. Light is a strong image in the prophecies of Isaiah. In chapter 9, verse 2, talks about that God's light gives hope to the people. And a little bit further on in Isaiah, in chapter 42, verse 6, says that God's people are called to be a light to the nations. About a month ago, uh, the ministry team uh, took a little retreat. And uh, we were just gathered around talking uh, one of those nights. And Lois made this comment. She said, you know, if God wanted to, he could just pluck us right out of this darkness. If that's what he wanted to do. But instead, he chose to send his son. He chose to send his light into the darkness. And those who embrace that light and walk in that light reflect his love and mercy and so his peace. Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of Treasure Island and a lot of other great novels. Stories told that as a child he was in very poor health. And one night when he was quite sick, his nurse found him with his nose pressed up against the frosty pane of his bedroom window. And she yelled at him, get yourself away from there, child, before you catch your death of cold. But young Robert wouldn't budge. He sat mesmerized as he watched an old lamplighter slowly work his way through the black night, lighting each street lamp along his route. Look there, young Robert pointed. There's a man poking holes in the darkness. We are lamplighters in the darkness around us. We poke holes in the darkness with the light of Christ by bringing hope and gracing people with God's mercy and love. Are we the kind of people who take things in stride, who bring peace to a room, who spread kindness and compassion to those that we meet? Or are we the kind of people who get angry at every little thing, complaining constantly, the kind of people whose company one prefers to avoid, who enter a room and the mood turns instantly tense or anxious or hostile? If our world is one where injustice and violence and oppression and suffering thrive, then the question we must ask ourselves is whether we're contributing to that suffering or are we contributing God's peace and bringing that into the world. In his first epistle, John says in chapter 1, verse 7, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have... Help me out. Fellowship with one another. So if we're not getting along, what does that mean? That we're likely not walking in the light. Kind of left you hanging back in 1910. Jack went on to say, A combination of thoughtful teaching, 
Christian love and forbearance brought the congregation together without division. You know, one of the things that that makes me most proud about this congregation, and I say it every chance I get, especially in an Explore membership class, is that for over 100 years, we've been through many a controversial issue, and yet we have never endured a split. Now, I'm not going to say that there's not some people that have got their feelings hurt, their feathers ruffled or whatever, and they've gone. But we have not just split in two and one group went one way and one group went in the other. We just finished up uh, today our study on the role of women in church. Some of you are probably thinking, I'm glad we're done with that. Some of you were uh, looking forward to it. Some of you weren't. Uh, some of you came maybe hoping for change. Some of you came with your heels dug in and like over my dead body. Um, hopefully there was a lot of good conversation. And I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know whether change is going to come about or not. But I do know one thing that if it is still, and I believe it is, the nature of this congregation, that whatever decision is made at some point that we're going to walk in the light with each other in the spirit and we're going to love each other through that and we're going to be patient with each other and we're going to forbear with each other. I want to bring us to a close with a little story I found. There was a quiet forest dweller that lived high above an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. The old gentleman had been hired many years ago by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that led, uh, I'm sorry, that fed the lovely spring flowing through their town. With faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills, removed the leaves and branches, and wiped away the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. By and by, the village became a popular attraction for vacationers. Swans floated along the crystal clear spring. Mill wheels of various businesses located along the water turned endlessly. Farmlands were naturally irrigated. And the view from restaurants was picturesque beyond description. Years passed. One evening, the town council met for its semi-annual meeting. As they reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary figure being paid the obscure keeper of the spring. Said the keeper of the purse, Who is the old man? Why do we keep on paying him year after year? No one ever sees him. For all we know, the strange ranger of the hills is doing us no good. He isn't necessary any longer. And by unanimous vote, they dispense with the old man's services. For several weeks, nothing changed. By early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. One afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. A couple of days later, the water was much darker. Within another week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. The mill wheels moved slower. Some finally ground to a halt. Swans left, as did the tourists. Clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village. Quickly, 
the embarrassed council called a special meeting. Realizing their gross error in judgment, they hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, the veritable river of life began to clear up. The wheels started to turn and new life returned to the hamlet in the Alps once again. Now, I know that's just a story, but I think it does carry a vivid, relevant analogy directly related to the times in which we live. What the keeper of the springs meant to that little village, Christians mean to the world. We may seem feeble, needless, unimportant, and small to the vast world, but God help any society that attempts to exist without our influence come let us walk in the light of the Lord together let's stand and sing